Welcome to the New Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Nickel. Hello and welcome. I'm glad you're here and I hope you're doing well. Today, you are going to want to have a pen and a notebook for this episode because I am so pleased to share with you a conversation that I had with my friend and fellow coach, Maggie Reyes. Now, Maggie is a marriage coach. She is an expert and knows so much about relationships. But before she became a coach, she worked in HR for many, many years. She worked in HR for a law firm. She also worked in HR in the hospitality industry. And she has a wealth of knowledge to share about how to effectively work with HR, and lots of specific practical tips for all kinds of situations that will come up in the course of your experience working with people. So be ready to take some notes. This one is really good. And let's get into the conversation. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk all the HR things. I'm really excited for you to be here too. As we get started, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Kim's. <laughs> but, uh, so I am a master certified life coach. I'm a marriage coach. So I help um, type A women, high achieving women have better relationships. And before I was a coach, I worked in human resources and I worked several years in training, then several years in recruiting. And at the end of my HR career, before I started my business, I did a little bit of both. And I was involved in a lot of different HR things. Um, So I cannot wait to discuss (laughs) everything that's on your mind. Over the course of several of all the different years that I worked in HR, I both hired new managers. I helped train new managers. Um, And I just, I think I have a different perspective than a lot of people. I was also kind of a rebellious HR person (laughs) in the sense that I felt like I was always an advocate for the employee. And that was my number one job. And that's like why I was paid was to be the advocate for the employee. And so sometimes, you know, you have to roll out things for the company or do whatever the things you're doing, but I always did it through a very particular and I think unique uh, lens. And so I can't wait to see what we dig into today. I'm really glad that you're here for so many reasons. I'm also a huge fan of Maggie. And I really appreciate that you have the real world experience working in HR, like out in the industry, and that you also now have all of this depth of experience in coaching and especially marriage because that's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I know there's so much that you know from your experience in HR, but also as a coach around how do we create great relationships and how does communication happen? And what do we do when, you know, there might be a a relationship that needs repair? How do we do that with conversation? Mm -hmm. Um, And because one of the reasons I was so excited to have you here too is One of the things I see a lot Mm -hmm. is often when there is friction between a manager and their person, Mm -hmm. and this could be something the manager is experiencing, like I've got this difficult person, Mm -hmm. or it can be someone saying, 
I don't like how my manager is being. And a lot of the advice I see just in the comments are, Mm -hmm. oh, you need to talk to HR. Mm. And I have like feelings about that, but I especially am curious for you, um, for the people who are listening, who actually don't know what HR is for, Mm -hmm. because it's different in different companies. Yeah. I am so curious to know your thoughts about like, what is HR for and what do new managers need to know Mm-hmm. about working with HR? So maybe we paint a picture of the, what I think the best HR is for and what I think most HR is for. So um, I think in an ideal world, human resources, like any other department, right? You have like supply chain, you have design, you have marketing. That department is in charge of, a, a, of the resources to execute the company's vision to change the world, to have an impact, to sell their product, whatever it is that they do. And HR is the steward of the most important thing, which is the talent of the company. So that's what I think HR should be for, and in some companies is for. However, in many companies, there's what I would view as a reductionist view of HR, where HR is there to protect the company from its own employees. And there's a lot of people with a lot of scarcity mindset and leadership positions. That's how they view HR. That's how they lead HR. And that's how the HR leaders themselves act towards the employees. And sometimes, no matter how well-meaning an HR professional might be, if the leadership of the company is, is telling them, no, your role is to just protect us from them, that's when you hear sort of adversarial kind of things like, oh, HR didn't help me or HR is not you know, I made an appointment, it took them three months to help, like stuff like that, where you kind of hear the complaints about it. I think that 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 is something that happens more often than any HR professional would like. When a person works in HR, it's because they love people, they wanna help people. The person who goes into that profession is 100% there for the people. Um, And sometimes your hands are tied for what you can do for the people and, and, and what you would like to do in an ideal world. So I was a little rebellious in that sometimes I would just say the things that nobody was saying, or I would say, listen, I can't put that in an email, but come to my office and let's discuss what's going on. So that's why I have a, maybe a little bit of, um, I don't know, I call it rebellious now point of view, but I hope that gives you sort of an idea um, of how I perceive <laughs> how that works. Yeah. And so for a manager who's thinking like, what are the kinds of things I should loop my HR person in for? Yeah. What does that look like? And and oh, yeah. Yeah. you go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So what are the kinds of things you should loop HR? First, you want to find out what kind of HR team do you have? Do you have the kind of HR team that's there to support you 100% behind you? That's open door. That's really like um, that kind of HR team. Or do you have the HR team that is more legalistic in their mindset? Sometimes you can look at who HR reports to and some companies they report into the legal team and then sometimes they report into somewhere else or sometimes they have a whole like chief HR or people officer or something like that. So you want to just have a conversation. You can ask your HR person. I would strongly recommend if you're a brand new manager, do make an appointment with HR and say, I want to know how you can help me succeed at my role. What are the things that I should come to you for? You ask them, what are the things I should come to you for? What are the things you expect me to resolve on my own? What are the resources I have? If you're a brand new manager and you've never dealt with budgets, what's my training budget? 
What's my training budget for my people? What's my training budget for myself? What kind of training do you have for new managers? So larger companies will have internal trainings for new managers and they'll just have a process to put you through. Smaller companies may not even have even thought of that. And I was in both situations where I worked in a very large company with thousands of employees. And then I worked in a much smaller company where we had to advocate for the training budget. So that's where I would start is make your appointment and ask them. And then you can see from a more informed and strategic place where you can get their support and where you should like stay away. I love that answer so much because what I'm really hearing is number one, it's okay to not know, huh? right? Like you don't yeah. need to just magically know and yeah. it's okay to ask. Asking is not a bad thing. It's okay to yeah. ask like, how do we work together? What are yeah. you for? What, when should I reach out? Yes. What are your expectations from me? What do you need from me? I think it would be so amazing if a new manager went to HR and said, what are the things you need from me that will make your job easier or harder if I miss them or if I don't? Like, first of all, that will impress the HR people. Yeah. And it's super useful to have an advocate within HR when you're a new manager. It's like just super useful. And so when you ask them stuff like that, like I used to when I worked in a smaller company, um people would have to sign off each department head would have to sign off on like the time and the payroll part of their people and it was incessantly late so if we had a new manager come in and like really take that seriously and have it all in on time it just makes five other people's jobs easier from them just asking that one very simple question i love that too because it also uh, is a reminder that just because you're a new manager and you're thinking, gosh, I'm new, I've never done this before. I know there's often an assumption, surely someone will tell me what I need to know. And I think that just doesn't happen. And it's not because people are bad or because they you know, don't want you to do well, but it, you know, people are busy, they forget, they don't know what you don't know because you're new and it can be easy to kind of get lost. Mm -hmm. um, and what you said about taking that strategic perspective and asking questions and finding out like, mm. that's so important. I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest questions that people I know listen to the podcast for, and I know this because I've seen the numbers of what people listen to. So mm -hmm. for all of my listeners, like this question is especially for you when there is friction and a manager doesn't know how to handle it. Hmm. What is your perspective, especially now that you're a master certified coach, hmm. you are so you have so much expertise around relationships and communication hmm. is one of your, you know, hmm. uh, superpowers. Mm -hmm. How might you help a manager with that? Tell me if you can, if it comes to mind, a couple of the types of friction that you have in mind. And I'll just say a global answer while you think about that, because the type of friction will determine what your course of action might be. So depending on what it is, you might not consult with HR, you might go to a mentor, someone else in the company, maybe someone in a different department or someone more senior in your own department. Depending on what it is, you might have to file a report and, and log the situation and have more of a paper trail about it. So it kind of does depend on a case-by-case -case basis on what the nature of the friction is sometimes it's underperformance. So I'll just give you that example. If a person, let's say they're brand new, they were within their 90 days, they got all the training, everybody on the team came together, really set this person up for success, and now they're just not performing the way we need to for whatever reason. 
that might be a performance improvement plan. That might be a conversation about these are our expectations. This is what we want to see. What's in your way? How can we support you? Which would be very different than friction of this person has a terrible attitude when they get um, assignment or something like that. Right. So that's what I mean by uh, depending on what it is, you might have five different strategies that you use in order to help yourself in that situation as a new manager. So now that I said that a little bit, what comes to mind is sort of stuff you see maybe a lot that we want to really give some clear steps for. Yeah. And I also just love that question of identifying what kind of friction do we have because we can have different kinds and that will influence what we do. Um, So when is the situation where someone gets promoted Mm -hmm. and they're now managing Mm -hmm. someone else who had applied for that same role. Oh yeah. Everyone works in the Mm -hmm. same company. They might have even been on the same team. They Mm -hmm. go for the promotion. One person gets it, the other person doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like the person who did not get the promotion Mm -hmm. is maybe exhibiting some passive aggressive behavior or just, you know, you can sense like something here is a little, like we've got some friction here. So as a new manager, if I was in that situation, the first thing I would say is I would take ownership of the relationship as if it was one-sided, as if I could decide how it went. Like, I'm going to own this relationship with this person. And from a place of ownership, I would say, what do I want to do with this person? Do I want to create more rapport with them? Do I want to like invite them to a meeting? Do I want to put that elephant in the room and say, hey, this is how it shook out? How can I help you and support you in your career? There'll be other opportunities within our company. You know, how do we set you up for success for the next time that you apply? That could be like one. So step one, take ownership. Step two, potentially create more rapport with the person. But let's say you tried to create rapport with the person and that didn't work. The person is just bitter. Then you get to decide as a manager what you take on. Is that person still a good fit for your team? Is their expertise still essential? Are they performing to the level that they need to perform? Sometimes it becomes a performance issue where they they have this, um, I worked in hospitality, so our attitudes are really important. We got measured on stuff like that too. Like not in every profession, it does that matter. I think it should, but not in every company or profession does it. So is it a performance issue where it's like, hey, do you wanna be part of the team? Do you wanna be part of the team? Act like part of the team. Right. It could be a very direct conversation about that. My number one answer whenever I get asked HR questions is it depends, <laughs> which yeah. is not anybody's favorite, but it truly does depend. Have you started? Have you started with trying to create rapport? Did you give them the ability to sort of succeed in whatever they were left with as a result of not getting that job? So did you try that first? And it's kind of like carrots and sticks. Did we try the carrot and then if the carrot didn't work, do we need to use a stick? A stick should, in my opinion, always be like the last resort. It's not what creates rapport. It's not what creates a great place to work. It's not what creates the best atmosphere, but sometimes you do need to use them. What do you think about that, Nicole, and what you see? Like, sorry, Kim, and what you see, I keep seeing your, your whole name. I know, it happens all the time. It's totally cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, like I think that that's spot on, like that really tracks with how I think about things too. Uh, And especially the part around, you know, humans are variable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I see is people who are new managers will either tend to manage the way that they wish that they were managed, Mm -hmm. which doesn't work for every person, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's that mistaken empathy where Mm -hmm. you imagine 
-hmm. the way that you want to be managed is what everybody wants. So Mm -hmm. I see that as a blind spot sometimes. And then there's the question of, oh, like, why did this person Mm -hmm. not respond in the way that I expected them to when I spoke to them or addressed them in this way, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why did they not you know, feel appreciative or why did it not change things in a positive way? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I often see is people will manage in the exact opposite of the worst experience they ever had. Mm-hmm. So they'll think about, oh, I had this one manager and they were really, you know, terrible in this way. So I'll just do the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Which also cannot work for the exact same reasons, right? Cause it's also not coming kind of from this strategic perspective and realizing, you know, humans vary. And so we want to have that mindset of, okay, let me, let me try this for this reason mm-hmm. and then see what happens. And it doesn't mean that I'm a bad manager if I don't figure it out mm-hmm. on the first go or the second or the third or the 100%. fourth. That's yeah. just like, it's being a manager sounds in some ways simple, but in some ways there's so much nuance involved in what you're doing every day because you're managing humans, you're managing projects, you're managing budgets, like you're managing things that like me knowing how to manage a human has nothing to do with knowing how to manage a budget. And so you have all these different skill sets that you have to like start doing sometimes for the very first time, just because you're a subject matter expert. So they're like, yes, you take charge of this. And then you have to figure it all out and you get to decide what you prioritize and how you prioritize those things. And one thing I wanted to say about building rapport with your team is my very first coach, her name is Christine Kane. She used to say that everybody has a radio station internal playing 24 seven in their brain. Mm -hmm. And it's W-I-I-F-M, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? So when you're thinking about how best do I manage someone, instead of thinking what your old manager did or what they didn't do or what your experience was, we want to tune you in to WIIFM, what's in it for me, <laughs> for each one of your direct reports, think about what matters to them. So one of them might want to raise in a bonus. The other one might want more time off. The other one might not care about either of those things and wants to just work on creative projects. So if you're giving them all a bonus or all time off, that's often not helpful. What's more helpful is to tune into each one of them. I love that. Uh, And two thoughts that happened in my brain just now. One is if you're new to listening to my podcast, go scroll down to the bottom of the episode list. I did an early, early episode on how people are selfish. And this is not a bad thing. It's just that we're always oriented towards ourselves. And so I love that like your visualization of everyone has that radio station makes so much sense. People want to know, like, how does this affect me? What about me? Yeah. Right. And they have different priorities and different interests. Um, And what also comes to mind is this is so good to remember because every manager also has a manager, unless you're at the very, very top, which is a different, a different set of problems. Yeah. But you also might not realize that your manager Mm. has not paused to ask you, Yes. What is it that is most meaningful to you? And, you know, to, to use the language you used a moment ago, own the relationship Mm -hmm. and you can initiate that conversation. Mm -hmm. You can say, Hey, here are what my priorities are. Here's what I'd like to focus on Mm -hmm. and perhaps partner more with your manager Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe you, you haven't thought is possible. Yeah. Asking for what you need at every level, like asking your direct reports and asking whoever you report to. Mm -hmm. we forget to do that sometimes and that 
just makes your job easier. It makes your manager's job easier. When you ask your manager for support for something that you'd be stuck in, you're avoiding a problem they will have to solve later if you don't address it at the beginning. Yeah. And I love it too. I think sometimes we assume we're supposed to know, Mm -hmm. right? Like if they promoted me, it must be because I'm supposed to know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually how it works. It's okay to not know. And it's better to ask questions and to you know, like build those relationships sooner rather than later. And even as you move through your career, whether you're in a managerial or leadership position, whether you're in the same company or you move to a similar company that doesn't do the exact same thing, you're always learning about that specific situation and that specific thing. And the idea to lead with curiosity or to ask yourself, what don't I know? What do I need to know in order to finish the project or to do the thing is so incredibly useful. And honestly, it makes your job more fun. So I worked in the cruise industry for many years and I was a recruiter, as I mentioned, and I would recruit for departments that I, like, it was so funny. I used to recruit for the casino and I had never stepped foot in a casino. So what I needed to know was everything. I was like, how does this work? So what happened was I would go to my uh, department heads, the people, the hiring managers I was hiring for, and I'd say, tell me everything. Who's your ideal person for this? What should I look for? And that not knowing, we see it as a drawback because we just got promoted, but it actually can help you build so much rapport with whoever your internal clients are, with whoever you're working with on projects, because can you imagine, so everyone listening right now, can you imagine if someone came up to you and said, how can I help you do your job and tell me everything you really care about? You would just be like, let me tell you, have a seat, right? It's so refreshing. How many people do that? Very few people. But what would happen is I had so much rapport with my hiring partners, the managers that made those decisions, that then when something would go wrong, when we'd make a mistake, when we had something happen, they sort of just saw my goodwill, my intention to help them and to do the right thing over months and over years, that when something would go wrong, they'd be like, yeah, it's a mistake, they happen. It, it, it was like a non-thing. Whereas my other colleagues that wouldn't establish rapport with people that would pretend like they knew everything, something would go wrong and there was no rapport. So they'd be like, yep, that was a big mistake. What are you going to do to fix it? Right? So different. Yeah. And I think it's, it is often sometimes those things that can be overlooked that, and that, that subtlety of being intentional around, okay, now that I'm in a new position, whether you're in a new company, a new industry, or in the same organization, but at a different in a different position, mm-hmm. the the perspective of, oh, I'm going to need to establish or even like reestablish mm-hmm. some relationships here, like being intentional about that. I love what you said about establishing rapport and some specific ways to do that, like have conversations, yeah. be curious, ask like, how can I help your job be better? Yes. All of those seem so doable and I think it um, sometimes overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. And here's something that I'm just going to say because it came to mind is people have different personalities, right? Just like imagine high school, right? There's all of those different personalities and now everybody's 40 or (laughs) or whatever. But never take at face value what other people tell you about superiors or about employees or about who you're working with. I had a lot of people tell me so-and-so is difficult to work with and -and so-and-so is impossible and -and so-and-so is this. And I made myself a rule to like listen to that and then to create my own experience with that person from that place of ownership, right? So I would have meetings with people 
where everybody in the lunchroom would be saying, oh, they're so terrible and this and that. And I would say, that's just never been my experience. I, I, I understand that that happened. Like, I'm not negating that that happened or whatever they were complaining about. I'm like, I just have never had that experience. And later when I left those situations, I was like, why was my experience so different? It's because I did not make a prejudgment based on what everybody told me, like the negative marketing that that person had. I was just like showing up to do the work we had to do so that we both got what we needed done. So like nobody had to suffer in the process, right? Mm -hmm. And just that clean slate, they could have been terrible to other people, but they just weren't to me. And it's not because I'm some secret unicorn person. It was because of the lens that I would use when I'd be in meetings with them. That also sounds like a really like effective or useful way of dealing with gossip. If you hear it, right? Or if someone comes to you, sometimes we don't mean to hear it, but we overhear it. And the question of like, oh, like, what do I do if I hear people gossiping? You always get to decide, right? So, I mean, I was totally imperfect at this. I'm sure that I gossiped for sure. However, as I learned more about myself, as I got more into personal development and just really became a more intentional human, especially towards the tail end of my career, people wouldn't even come to me because they just knew I wasn't, like I wasn't gonna bite, right? And so they would have those conversations but they wouldn't invite me to them. And I was fine with that. And then sometimes when they would invite me to them, I would say things like, I understand that I just haven't experienced that with this person. I just, I don't know what to tell you. That's not what happened with me. And so I think it's like, you get to decide. It's interesting how we would frame gossip because also sometimes, I'm a big fan for myself and for anyone listening to us of old fashioned management by walking around. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of us work virtually. So management by walking around is having a Zoom chat with someone, is having one-on-ones, is having updates, is asking, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Those really open-ended questions, which sometimes could sound like gossip maybe, will also reveal so-and-so is struggling with a project. So-and-so broke up with you know their girlfriend of 20 years like when you just say hey what's going on how what's happening so many people would just tell me all these things and then that would help me help them or support them or change a deadline or, or advocate for them in some way or stuff like that so i think that there's the gossip that you feel terrible like you need a shower when you get home <laughs> and then there's like being interested in humans and being interested in what they're struggling with. And if five people tell you there's a problem with a specific person, do we need to do something about that problem? I love that it's it's also that it depends. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically, so many years ago when I first was promoted to a manager and I was managing a team of people I had been peers with. So I had to navigate that relationship change. But it was also at a time when the company was going through some organizational changes mm -hmm. and kind of the, like the, the quote unquote gossip on the floor was around, are we going to have layoffs in the next quarter or not? Mm -hmm. And so that was definitely the kind of thing where, of course, it was, you know, distracting and everyone had a different opinion and some people were really feisty about it and had really like big emotions around it. But I could also really understand where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. It's like, of course they're observing, you know, we're doing this thing in this part of the company and this thing mm -hmm. in that part of the company. And again, like 
how does this affect me? Like everyone's radio station is tuned because they're wondering like, this could be a really big deal for me. And for me as the manager at the time, the other hard thing was that I did have some information about what was going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And I was like bound to silence, Mm -hmm. right? Like I was not at liberty to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the you know, when I look back on, on that version of me, I feel so proud of her because I feel like I didn't have any guidance and I had to decide what am I going to do with what I'm observing? Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up doing was we had this big team meeting and I acknowledged, like, I know there's probably a lot of concern about what's going to happen in this next quarter, mm-hmm. you know? And so first just acknowledging, right? Like, of course, we're going to have different emotions, different mm-hmm. opinions. We've got a lot of uncertainty. And then where I I kind of took it was I, uh, I asked them, you know, I know you're really good at change Mm -hmm. because you've been in this company and you've been in this industry for so long. And I know you've seen a lot of change before. So for me, my mindset as the manager was, you know, with what's available to me, Mm -hmm. how can I help them to feel more calm and kind of connected to their own capacity and strength Mm -hmm. and a sense Mm -hmm. of like connection to each other Mm -hmm. so that the uncertainty and the unknown wasn't like the biggest thing in the room, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, yes, that is there. And this is also here, right? Yeah. And it actually, like, there was this really funny moment where I asked people to partner. I'm like, tell everyone, like, tell your partner, what was this company like when you first started working here? Mm-hmm. And then we came and shouted out like, what's changed. Mm-hmm. And some of the people had been there for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like they were there before email. They're like, remember before email, you know, do you remember when you could smoke in the office? And so it also <laughs> just like kind of put this, this bigger perspective mm-hmm. on what was happening in this moment. So good. I love that. A bigger perspective <laughs> is just always a good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And sometimes that is the role of the manager, the leader, is that you can sometimes have that bigger perspective Mm -hmm. and help to guide your team in where their attention is going. Mm -hmm. Right. Whether it's around like, here's our priority. We're going to focus on this and not that, Mm -hmm. or whether it's helping make sense of, okay, like these are the things that are changing and here's what this means for you, or here's what this means for us as a team. So good. I'm curious, um, you mentioned briefly about performance improvement plans mm-hmm. and PIPs. And I, my experience has been that's something that people often feel very reluctant about and very awkward about. And I'm curious if there's anything in your perspective or your mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. that people would need to know. Like, I didn't even know about them. I didn't know that they existed. I didn't know they were a thing. So my guess is most people don't hear about them until mm-hmm. things have escalated to a point where it's now time to formalize some kind of process. Yeah. So my experience with them is mixed. Usually by the time that you're doing that, you're often just documenting what's going wrong. So if you have to terminate someone, you're like, we put it in writing, we said everything. My kind of, one of my philosophies is like, nothing should ever be a surprise. Mm -hmm. So if you're a new manager and your team is surprised by something that you think, that means you're under communicating. Like if something is not working, if they need to fix something, change something, whatever, it should just not be a surprise. Look, it's like, 
it's like um i don't know getting your cancer checked or something like like we're women we have breast you know cancer checks every year it's like the earlier you catch something the more likely it's going to be less of a problem and that's just true on like every level but if you get to the point where you do need to do a performance improvement plan that's an opportunity to partner with hr to ask like what are the most effective ones what have you seen before like really to if they're open and available because you already assessed that before right um to really see how they can guide you to help you do something that's really effective and really useful and that's what i would say just about them is to make them concrete to have things that you check off a list you can tell whether it happened or it didn't the more vague it is the more vague your results are going to be the more precise and concrete it is the more precise and concrete you're evaluating things that are measurable sometimes we work on projects and things that are a little bit nebulous and we have to decide like what does it mean like what is measurable here and that's something to run by a colleague or to run by someone else or your own manager so that would be my initial thoughts about it i love it nothing should be a surprise Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I talk about too around performance reviews. Nobody wants to be surprised or like ambushed on their performance review. It's like mm-hmm. if this was an issue, you should have told me six months ago so I could have adjusted it. Yeah. Um, and that sense too. So yes. So in order to be having those conversations sooner, mm-hmm. some of them will be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is okay. We can learn how to have uncomfortable conversations um, <sighs> and how to how to get better at them. Like and how to, to feel, feel and how to feel more comfortable in them right so yeah. so i've been in different situations where i've either had someone helping me or like now i have a team in my own uh, coaching company and i have to give feedback all the time and what i would invite anyone who's a new manager to do is to sit back and decide like what are the values that you want to lead with when you're giving feedback so i'm a big fan of collaboration that's one of my values of clarity like precise like this happened on tuesday and this is happening on monday or whatever the more precise the better and it's like what is the kind of feedback that i think will make a difference it's often ignoring what happened today in service of how it's going to be handled in the future so it's like i'm not going to get mad at you about today today is just alerting us that if we keep doing this we're not going to get what we want tomorrow and the next day and the next day so it's like listen mistakes happen this i noticed this today moving forward i'm thinking this and this oftentimes when we become managers we're also removed from the front lines my biggest pet peeve working in a huge company where people were making decisions you know let's say the vp makes a decision that then goes down to the director to the manager and then to the specialist doing the job and the vp has no idea what it takes on a day-to-day basis for that instruction to be executed that was my biggest pet peeve it's like why don't they ask us we know what it takes to do right so taking that into consideration when you're giving feedback is asking the person i think we should do this can this be done by the end of the month what would it take to do it can you walk me through it you understanding you don't have to understand every single little detail but you just understanding the basics of what it takes first of all your team will love you forever and then you'll also be able to give better instructions and better leadership and better guidance when other things like that come up you already know oh it takes three weeks to get this from purchasing so you know if we want that by this time we got to put in the order now but how would you even know that because you asked the person on the front lines how does it work for you what's doable for you when you were giving feedback about something. I love it. So again, like building those relationships, finding out how things work, having those clear and specific 
conversations, being very values-based, very values-led. And this also makes me want to ask you about trust building. Mm. My sense is that everything that you're talking about is also a way of building trust. But what else do you know that could help new managers or actually honestly, like any human who works with a human about how we foster or, you know, create trust with the people we work with? That's such an interesting question because sometimes there will be people who will be resistant to trust no matter what you do. And I just want to call Mm -hmm. that out. Yep. There will be people who've been burned by previous bosses, by previous colleagues where they're just their like shields are up to think about like a sci-fi way to think about it is like they are just not available to trust and you have to give yourself a break about that as a new manager to be like oh this person just this is how they are and this is the level of rapport i can have with them right so that's one part of it i think that building trust if we think about something like psychological safety on a team and google has done such great work and there's such that like we actually have some data and some evidence-based kind of things to pull from when we're telling people about this. I think that transparency, hey, we're making this change. This is why we're making it. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is why, this is our goal. Anything around transparency build, helps to build trust. It doesn't, it's not the only thing that builds trust, but it's a big help in building trust. And then another thing that I think that's important when you're building trust is don't overpromise. Don't mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm going to get you a promotion next year or I'm going to whatever. But, you know, we as managers think that person deserves a promotion. But if it's not in your hands to sign the check or to put it into practice, I've seen people get really disappointed because managers have made promises that they didn't have the control over executing. And I would say that's a place to just be a little bit careful because maybe you had a lot of trust and then it imploded in just one shot. And so that overpromising, you want to just be really careful. What do I actually have control over that I can do for my team? Again, taking ownership of like, what can I do? And then sometimes you go to HR and you say, what do I have control over? Can I approve this? How many approvals does it need to, for this to pass? That kind of thing. There's many other things we can do to build trust. We can end meetings on time, right? Mm-hmm. We can do stuff like not call meetings we don't need to call and only do stuff that needs to be done that's essential for the project. That builds trust in that you're not wasting my time, you're honoring my expertise, asking for people who are subject matter experts, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think about that? Can build so much trust or erode so much trust when we don't ask those questions? What do you think? I love all of that. And it makes me also want to loop back to something you said at the very beginning of our conversation around when you talk with HR, find out what the training budget is for yourself and for your people. Because sometimes as a manager, you don't have the authority to grant someone a promotion or a raise or even a bonus, but you might have it within your means to approve of them to go to a training, to work with a coach, to do a program, to do something that will still help them in their career and to grow. And so I think sometimes the professional development budget is something that also gets overlooked, but it's a really valuable point of leverage, right? Because also as a manager, you might have the discretion to like, like I have, I've seen this happen so many times, like a a manager will say, well, I was able to find the budget for this. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like sometimes it's like, oh, and especially now end of the year, it's like, yeah. oh, we had all this extra money because we, we thought this project would require this and it didn't. But now we have this funds that we can use for professional development or something else that will help, you know, that will help the person. So, so yeah, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I thought of something you haven't asked me yet that I, yes. I want to say, please. So important. So one of my different trainings that I've given over the years is on email, the appropriate use of email. And Let's I have hear it. I want to know. <laughs> okay. So first of all, as a new manager, think about, you know, you may chit chat on email or say things or whatever that just amongst the team, right? It's fine. But as a new manager, here's the visual that I want to give you is if you wouldn't want to see that email in New York Times Square blown up to a thousand times its size, then don't send it. <laughs> so any email that you send could be forwarded to your boss, could be forwarded to your employee, could be forwarded to HR. And so as a new manager, it's like you have a heightened level of responsibility for your like public communication. And so it's kind of like you're your own PR, you're your own advocate for what your communication is and we can be in where you know we work with a whole the same team maybe for five years or something we're very chummy we're very you know we just write whatever to each other and when you're a manager it's like there's a heightened level of responsibility of you setting the example and some of the things you might say like offhand or something like that you may not want to say furthermore before i worked in the cruise industry i worked in a law firm for almost 10 years and think about depending on the industry that you're in, could you be sued? Could your emails be pulled for evidence purposes about anything? What do you want to have in that email? What do you not want to have in that email? In HR situations, sometimes people would want to ask me about something with an employee or something like that. And my reply would be, call me. <laughs> That's it. My reply would be, call me because I didn't want to put in an email while well, we had this issue and that issue and the other issue, right? So mm -hmm. who knows who could forward that, who knows who could talk about it. They'd be like, listen, you asked me about this thing. Here's what I wouldn't put on an email, but you probably want to know, whatever, whatever, whatever the thing is. Like it can be that simple, but just being intentional about your email is very important. And then coming back to clarity, just for the, the emails of getting the work done emails, it's like, is there one clear message, one clear action item? When you finish reading that email, do you know everybody's immediate next step? If you don't, it's unclear. It's pointless to send it. Those are just some thoughts on email that will make everybody's life easier. What are your thoughts, it. Kim? I think 100%, especially that awareness of, of how your conduct can travel and what it can mean and how it can be received by. Yes. Right. I mean, I feel like that's something we see a lot is, oh, you know, screenshots of emails and text messages or videos of the team meeting that, yes. you know, out of context can really have significant repercussions. Mm -hmm. So being mindful of that. And I think that's part of actually the journey of how do you develop your own authentic leadership style mm -hmm. and do it being mindful of like we don't operate in a vacuum. We're very interconnected in the ecosystem and in the company. Yeah. So there is this other level of like emotional labor that you're going to do as a manager. Yeah. 
that you didn't have before. You didn't have to worry about others' feelings or, or like you were just doing your thing, right? Whatever it is that yeah. you were doing. And now it's, it's really, I don't know, like being a movie director, you have to take into consideration all of these other factors that you didn't have to take into consideration before, right? And it's like, how is it gonna land? Who's gonna get it? What will their impression of it be? Yeah. And I think that also just normalizes it. Right. So if it's like you got the promotion or you got the new job, amazing. And then you can feel kind of overwhelmed or lost. Like, wait, why does this feel so different? Mm -hmm. And it's for all of the things that you shared. Yeah. Cause it is different. Yeah. Right. And it would be nice. Like if, when you got promoted or you got a new job, you got a little letter with a gold seal that said, congratulations, here are the things that you should know about what's different now. Yeah. But I've never seen a company do that. Have you? No, I might need to make make such a thing. I think that would be amazing. Okay, we're giving Kim <laughs> an assignment. I know, I know Kim usually gives her clients coaching homework and stuff. It's like, do this or whatever. Thank you, Kim. We want to hear it. We want to know. Yeah, you know, because I think it feels better, especially when you're like used to being an overachiever and you're really good at accomplishing things. It can be easy to suddenly feel like the ground has shifted in a way that is not obvious, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you would like to share or that, um, I don't know, anything else? I think. If you're a new manager and you're listening to this or you're like working on getting promoted and like mm-hmm. we don't want to talk you out of becoming a manager, it could be amazing right like. We want you to know these are things for you to think about take into consideration they're all doable they're all achievable and I would say the way we change how business is done is by changing how business is done, so I do have one like last story to tell everybody so when I was a recruiter. At that time, recruiters had a really bad rap. I don't know how it is now. I've been haven't been doing that for several years, but it was like recruiters would lie and they would tell. It was just like a profession that really was was not well regarded. And I decided that I was not going to be the stereotypical person who did that job. So I would come in and you know at the level at which I was at at that time, and when I had a candidate, I would literally send an email where the subject line was this the non-update update. And I'd say, hey, person who's been waiting a week to hear back, I just want you to know, I haven't met with the team yet. I'm still waiting to hear back. The minute I have any news, I will let you know. Little things like that created so much of a better experience for the candidate and so much of a better like persona for the company because people felt like, oh, the company cares about me. I was the ambassador of the company, right? The company cares about me. They update me, they tell me. And I just decided that how I did things would be in accordance with, with what I felt was the highest of the company values and my personal values. So I would give realistic job previews. Sometimes I'd hire people that were coming into a difficult team where the previous manager was awful and just terrible. And everybody was like afraid or stuff like that. And I'd say, hey, this company has amazing things and you're gonna get to do this and you have the budget for that. And this person on your team is an expert in this thing. And they're all really tender right now. And they had this experience and how will you handle that? And some of my colleagues were like, why do you go into that level of detail? Because they're gonna get here on Tuesday and have to deal with it. So I want someone who wants to deal with it, who's ready to deal with it, knowing all the other great things that they get in their job. 
And so whatever role you're in now and whatever role you are in leadership, you can take that role and be the one little sort of pebble in the ocean that's, that does it different, that does it better. And that would be my invitation to everyone who's listening now. Thank you so much. That is brilliant. And I love everything about it. And I'm really glad that you were able to take some time to talk today and share all of that perspective and wisdom with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Where can people find you if they want to know more about what you're doing and uh, how to connect so, with you? So this was so much fun for me because it was like all my HR stuff. <laughs> really, I'm talking about marriage and relationships. So you can find me at MaggieReyes.com. I have a podcast. It's called the Marriage Life Coach Podcast. So if you want to hear me talk about how to have you know, amazing relationships, you can hear me talk there. And if you love Instagram, you can find me there at the Maggie Reyes. And can we also tell them that you have a book, like a really amazing oh good book? Gosh, thank you for reminding me. I yeah. wrote a book. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm also an author. So I wrote a book. It's called The Questions for Couples Journal. And it's 400 questions. So it's not a book you read. It's a book you do. It's 400 questions and it has different categories, your goals, your dreams, sexy times, all kinds of stuff like that, your values. And it's really designed to help you get closer to your partner, asking things that would never come up otherwise. I'm going to put links to all of that in the show notes. So it'll, it'll make it even easier for my people to find you because yeah, more of Maggie is always a good thing. Thank you. I love it. And put in, I have another request for Kim, put in the show notes, that episode about people being selfish. Yes, I will. So do good. That. Okay. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you. Bye. When you're more effective at work, you're happier in your life. And when you're happier in your life, you're more effective at work. I can help. Go to my website, kimnickel.com and sign up for a coaching consult. It can get better.